Hello, Happy Harvest Horror Show listeners. Quick content warning, this episode contains discussion of eating disorders, assault, abduction, and rape in the context of the ancient myth of Persephone, but also in a broader social and cultural context. So please use your own discretion on whether or not you would like to listen to this episode. Also, if you haven't heard, quick announcement, we're doing a book club, Happy Harvest Horror Show Book Club. If you would like to be a part of this group of super cool party people only, head over to anchor.fm slash HHHS slash support and become a supporter of the podcast at any level as low as 99 cents a month. Really, whatever you can do to help is greatly, greatly appreciated. It is how we will be able to keep making this content. And yeah, and as an offering for our supporters, you can be part of the book club. Every month we'll pick a spooky book to read and then there will be a Zoom at the end of the month where we can all hang out and talk about it. So if you would like to be a part of that, become a supporter at anchor.fm slash HHHS slash support. Then email us at happyharvesthorrorshow at gmail.com and we will get you on that list. So you will get the link to the Zoom at the end of the month. We've already got a really lovely group of people going. So excited to talk to you all about this month's book, A Head Full of Ghosts, and super grateful that you're here. All right, enjoy this episode on Persephone, Queen of the Underworld. Um, what is it? What was the, the the Disney show with all the kids? The, the Ryan Gosling was on it. Like, Mickey Mouse Club? Mickey Mouse Club. Like if you were a part of the Mickey Mouse Club and they, they, they killed somebody, you know, that's like... <laughs> Something is going to get you tonight. Let's talk about the thing that's going to get you tonight. Welcome to the Happy Harvest Horror Show. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Brian. And this is the Happy Harvest Horror Show, where every week we get together and talk about spooky things. And this week we have a very special guest with us. Julia, welcome. Hi. Thank you, guys. I'm really thank glad you for to be here. Thank you for being here, Julia. We're really excited to have you here. Absolutely. We're going to be talking about a super cool topic today, the myth of Persephone. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I am an artist by which I mean I, I perform and I write performances and I make things also like uh, art and set pieces and things like that. And I really, really like spooky stories about women. So that's kind of why I'm here. We're thrilled you're here. Yeah, yeah I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> Julia reached out to us with this idea and we were like, hell yeah, hell yeah. And you right actually... On did a thesis on Persephone herself, right? And then, yeah. So I, I wrote a thesis about mythology and femininity and basically eating disorders (laughs) that became really, really, um, I would say a good third of it was focused on Persephone and, and how that all kind of swirls together into her, her story. Mm-hmm. really really fun <laughs> i i was extremely satisfied with the topic i picked i don't think i would have been happy with anything else yeah i am excited to 
dive into that a little bit more because I've, you know, I've thought a lot about per- Persephone in terms of fe- uh, female trauma, but like, mm. but like the, the eating disorder connection was one that I just recently came across mm. and I was like, this is Ooh. interesting. So I hadn't even um, thought about that till you guys brought it up. Yeah. It's fascinating. Layers, um, layers of the feminine experience seen in the story of Persephone mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. sure. Before we dive into that, let's uh, let's do it. Let's start with our guest. How spooky was your week, Julia? Uh, pretty spooky because I knew we were going to record, so I did it on purpose. <laughs> I started watching the series Sharp Objects, which I yes. I read the book last fall and it became like my favorite book instantly. And I just now started watching the show and it's so good. It's so wonderful. It's, it's great. It's so spooky and messed up. And I mm-hmm. really, really think it's well done. Have you, have you finished it? Or are you still making your way through it? I have two episodes left, but you know, like I said, I know the story because I, I read the book. And right, it's, right. Um, it's just like everything I want from a spooky piece of media. Mm-hmm. It's so messed up and it's very feminine and very subtle and very mm-hmm. gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super atmospheric too. We were talking yeah. uh, with last episode about just like, there's like a temperature to it, you know, there's like, Ooh, it's just mm-hmm. dripping with heat, you know, and it's exhausting just watching these characters live in this world. That- it is. And especially when the, the main character takes such horrible care of herself, like Awful. you just kind of, Ooh. Yep. And yet that's always so interesting characters like that, which, yeah, um, you know, part of their, their, their being is, is taking horrible care of themselves, but yet they mm. still manage to like do so much. Like they still, I'm like, where does this energy come from? Yeah. <laughs> like, how are you even like operating in the world right now? <laughs> not but, well. Yeah. No, not, well. not having point. a good time, but I, I didn't read the book book i i've heard there are some i mean as always is with like book to tv adaptations i i heard there are like some discrepancies with the ending that the ending is like different than the book to a certain degree um you know i won't spoil that for you having not read the book i love the ending of the show i I that's what i've seen so far is the the tv show is different but all the differences are fine by me, which almost never happens. I'm usually, you know, I'm trying to get over it, but such whatever a story you read first, you're like, that's yeah, better, yeah. You know? <laughs> but like it, it works really well, and I think part of it is because the author is one of the producers. I think she's okay made it made it really true to the the vibe of the story, even if it's not true to every little piece. Mm-hmm. I love sense. that. Is this the same writer as Gone Girl? Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Another really spooky <laughs> tale. Man, so yeah, I guess after the success of Gone Girl, I could see HBO going, yeah, will you, whatever you say, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do it that <laughs> way. <laughs> Gone Girl, I think of literally like not even as a story. I think of it as like a genre now. Like, yeah, ooh, like yeah. Gone Girl is it like started a genre. something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sharp objects. Do you have any any other spooky uh, things this week? Just work and being tired. <laughs> that's that's. The, the only thing that of capitalism. Going on. thing of all, you know. 
Corey, how spooky was your week? Um, uh, not not terribly spooky. I I failed uh this week. I've, Get out. I've 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 kind of been all over the place just with life uh the last like two weeks. So. Mm. Um, not a lot, super spooky. Right before we got on this recording, I was watching a documentary on something that depending on who you ask, I don't consider it particularly spooky, but some people think it's like the most terrifying thing in existence. And that's, um, black holes. I was watching a documentary on black holes. (laughs) No existential dread, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a delicate balance. Right. (laughs) I um I feel like it's it's very much yeah it's a person to person thing you either like love them and find a lot like personally I I find a lot of like calm and peace in in black holes um just because of the immensity of it but I f- completely understand why they are also horrifying to a lot of people. literal cosmic horror to me uh, yeah. <laughs> this big. <laughs> On the yes. largest scale imaginable. It's- exactly. Yeah, yeah. So- Reality annihilating thing, you know? Exactly. So in a certain way, it could be the most horror thing there is, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> mm-hmm. right. Have you heard of Blue Holes? I, I just, holes? I listened to Blue Holes. It's, it's, not, it's not in space. It's on Earth. They're just insanely deep lakes. They're like really, really deep lakes that kind of seem like they come out of no well they don't come out of nowhere i listened to a podcast episode about them and people who like to go scuba diving in them and see like the fossil record basically that's down there it's fascinating but another way to get really really scared by nature definitely add that to the list because that god (laughs) yeah terrifying i went down a little bit of an internet rabbit hole one time not too recently um yeah about like deep cave divers and stuff Mm -hmm. and oh my god it's insane like Mm -hmm. it is such a scary thing to be putting your body through and a lot of people die doing it like it's not safe (laughs) like like it is it, it it is um it is up there on the list of like extreme you know sport physical activities you can do and uh yeah, a lot of people don't come back. A lot of people just they just go deep into mm-hmm. that in that cave in the water and they do not resurface. Depths depths <laughs> are scary to me. You know? Yeah, I remember watching like is, Titanic, just like the beginning parts. I'm like, this isn't fun. This Did you say fun. Titanic? Yeah. I like oh. like the just the journey of going down to the bottom of the ocean, you know, just depths. That's like Tit- okay, Titanic. People, I, people sleep on Titanic as a scary movie. It is so much to take in. It's kind of a ghost story in a way. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's a lot. <laughs> Titanic is easy. I mean, I'd be down to do a Titanic episode. I fucking love Titanic. Oh. <laughs> like, like I could, I could go there. I have um, a, a, a pretty consistent fascination with shipwrecks. I'm, I'm very into shipwrecks. I have like Titanic books on shipwrecks. Like um, actually last summer I was in Michigan and I went on this like shipwreck tour and I got to see like all these like shipwrecks. At the, it was really fucking cool. Um, but I'm, yeah. I, I'm very intrigued by shipwrecks. I'm very intrigued by the concept of um, and like the symbol of like, like treasure at the bottom of the ocean, you know, like the, mm-hmm. 
the 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 things left behind behind by shipwrecks but yes there is also i think i mean i think a, a a large part of that has to do with the fact that titanic was just like one of my first favorite movies ever like i was obsessed with it in like second third grade when it came out i just love titanic leonardo dicaprio was like my first love like it was just like a whole thing i was obsessed <laughs> with that film um and but also to go back to what you were saying, Brian, there is there's a ghostly element to shipwrecks too. Like you, mm-hmm. you the brain automatically goes like haunted, like that shit. Underwater haunted. haunted house, man. Yeah, you exactly. Know? It's an underwater haunted house, uh, which um, you know is actually how I would probably describe my subconscious: an underwater haunted house. <laughs> <laughs> there um, is. Um, it's funny we were on this topic because there's a movie coming out soon this year called The Deep House, which is literally a house underwater that's haunted that divers go through. So yes. wait, Speaking like of- a, a not not any kind of houseboat or boat. It's just a no, house. It's a house oh. underwater. Here, this is the IMDb summary. A young and modern couple go to France to explore an underwater house and share their findings on social media. Undergoes a serious serious change of plans when the couple enter the interior of a strange house located at the bottom of the sea, and their presence awakens a dark spirit that haunts the house. So literally. Diving through, swimming through a haunted house underwater. Yes, I am excited about that. Wow. Uh, I'm sold. (laughs) We should also, actually, I have a book. I think, yeah, I got it on my Michigan trip that was about, it's about like Michigan ghosts, like lake ghosts. So like from shipwrecks, uh, like there, you know, there's old dilapidated lighthouses, like all the spooky um seafaring stuff oh, yeah. <laughs> and like that sea spookies yeah sea spookies <laughs> okay that yeah we're it gonna do a scientific it. term yeah you know? yeah we're gonna do an episode called sea spookies that's that's done <laughs> that's so good <laughs> um going back to how spooky was your week uh black holes pretty much encompasses all of the spooky i guess mm-hmm. but brian how spooky was your week i had a pretty spooky week all right you know, I when don't first, you like, let's be real. <laughs> I always do. It's, I, it's who I am. Um, uh, this morning I got up real early to watch on HBO max, the conjuring three, which dropped today. Um, I do need to watch that. That's exciting. I totally forgot that it was coming out until last night we were doing our happy harvest, uh, Twitch stream. And one of the people in the chat reminded me and I was like, Holy shit, that's tomorrow. Um, so I got up morning, got my coffee and watched conjuring three. Had a lot of fun. Real spooky. I don't know if you, if you fans of the first two, it was a fun departure because like the Conjuring movies are now a universe, right? We've got the two movies. We've got three Annabelle movies. We've got a, a nun movie. Like it's all over the place. And this one was a fun. It wasn't like another haunting story. It was like more occult uh, Satanist. To their yes. One. Um, so it was Love that. Uh, some some real spooky in that way. Uh, that's kind of I, just my instinct is that kind of makes me think of the Paranormal Activity franchise and how by the time we got to three, it was like this like cult of like witches and like it oh, was yeah. like it had taken on this kind of new layer as opposed to just this like demon, you know? Right, right. A lot of franchises, uh, it's kind of like the all roads lead to cults a little yeah. bit there. 
Really? Don't they just though? Yeah. yeah. Ain't that just the way, man? Just the way. <laughs> it was fun. Though. I mean, I had fun with it. It wasn't directed by James Wan, so it's the first Conjuring, you know, movie with the the Warrens that aren't isn't directed by him and the, the scares aren't as creative or you know scary as the first two but um there was still a level of like scope and scale and really insidious spooks you know that was going on so um so i watched that watched uh quiet place part two this last mm-hmm. weekend caught that it's fun it's a more quiet place you know um, i haven't seen the first one yet actually really it's yeah. fun john krasinski he can direct yeah he does horror like that's horror (laughs) very effective horror yeah Yeah. it's very good um and then uh other than that we've uh just the happy harvest horror show twitch stream we've been having a lot of fun playing uh spooky games on there so come check us out that's it that's that's my spooky week perfect let's do our little uh shouts out and and then take a quick break Thank you, Julia. You're here. Supporter <laughs> Julia. Oh boy. Appreciate you. Of course. Uh, so very much. Julia, uh, today's honored guest is also a supporter of Happy Harvest Horror Show. We very, very much appreciate it and we're happy to have you here. And who else? Who else is on our list? Of In addition to Julia, we got Jody, Erica, Wendy, Morgan, Jennifer, Jody, and Aaron. Woo! <laughs> Go Thank team! You. Thank you all so much for being such a great coven of supporters. And if you'd like to join Julia and all these other rad people, you can go to anchor.fm slash HHHS slash support and uh, you can help us out. Or you can just go and uh, share us on Instagram or re- leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. All avenues are appreciated. Yes, very much so. We also, Brian and I were just talking about the possibility of maybe doing like a little book club for all of our like Happy Harvest Horror Show supporters as just like a fun little extra thing. Spooky book club to add on to the anchor support perks. Yeah. If that's something you're interested in, head over to anchor.fm slash HHHS slash support. Did I get it right? So good. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and yeah, throw it, throw us however much money uh, you want to throw us. There's no limit. Uh, you can just toss it at us in droves. Um. Just keep throwing it. <laughs> All right, let's take a little break and then come back and uh, dive into Persephone and female fear and, and all the complicated layers with that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Could bring it up when we have a book club, but I've been reading this book that came out a few weeks ago, Whisper Down the Lane, got at the library. It's all it's a basically a fiction about the McMartin preschool trial and it all takes so from our Satanist, you know, satanic panic episode, you are primed and ready to go for this book. Whisper down the lane, all about you know this five in the eighties, this five year old boy that just trying to 
make people happy and tell them what they want to hear get you know spreads the story that gets out of control on this whole and then and then the same kid years later as an adult dealing with that yeah uh, i don't know how you recover from that <laughs> for real not like, well oh i'm halfway through the book not well <laughs> but and then we can talk about Persephone. Yeah. A, I mean, there's a cult of Persephone too. That's yeah, like a real yeah. thing. <laughs> the Eleusinian Mysteries. Yes. Ooh. Which is like the <laughs> coolest cult name ever. I know. I didn't know that you could call a cult a mystery <laughs> until I started studying this. And I was like, that's so much better than any other name for an organization. Right. Totally. Right. I love it. Even knowing it's a cult, I might be tempted to join. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've returned. Hello. Hey. Happy Harvest Horror Show. We are here with Julia. We're going to talk about Persephone and the many, many layers of really just, I I feel like, yeah, Persephone as as a myth, but as a symbol and an archetype Mm -hmm. for a lot of aspects of womanhood and femininity. And um, And some fear and horrors that come with that, too. Yes. Scary story. You know, <laughs> the the you know a, a a very solid representation of like light and dark, like shadow side type mm, stuff mm-hmm. um, in uh, ancient Greek mythology. So let's do it. Let's dive in. Julia, do you want to maybe like kick us off with telling us a bit more about your your thesis research? And sure. Um. So what I was researching basically, uh, in the thesis in general and in the part about Persephone was all about the relationship between self-deprecation and holiness. Um, So basically looking at if that was a part of the Persephone myth, if that was a part of the story of the Virgin Mary and how that is now very much a uh, narrative in current women (laughs) and specifically in women with eating disorders and how like it's kind of equated to goodness and how, you know, maybe it's not an accident that we have that if it's been going on for the last several thousand years. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Um, so yeah, I like, I'm already very, just very intrigued by this, like kind of sacrificial through line, like, Mm. um, that I definitely haven't fully thought about Persephone in terms of that. Um, Maybe just like for our listeners who are less familiar, uh, just really quick rundown of the story of Persephone. Um, Let me know if I get anything wrong, because there is also uh, there are a lot of different takes on this myth. Yeah, Yeah, there's so many. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's lots of versions, lots of different takes. Um, And I would say the one we're most familiar with is probably like the most patriarchal version. It's like the version that comes from like mainland Greece. And like, I think uh, uh, what I have seventh century BCE was like the main uh, Persephone story. Um, But there's also evidence that the story existed way before that even this is just kind of where we we place it like academically a lot i have like a weird personal connection to the story i think i maybe told it on the podcast once before but uh 
it's like technically kind of where my name comes from. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, um, I, it was actually like a weird healing moment for me because when I was a kid, I hated my name. Like when I was younger, I really didn't like my name. I, I don't know, and it's for really stupid gendered reasons. Like I thought it was like a boy's name, and um, now obviously I love the fact that I have like a unisex, like non-gendered name. Like I'm like. I yeah I can't imagine it any other way but as a kid in the 90s I didn't like it yeah and somewhere in my 20s I was just kind of like researching where the name Corey comes from because like my mom didn't have any reason really for picking it it was she just liked the name and I was like looking into it and Corey it means maiden in both uh it comes from both like Irish and Greek and the root of it in Greek is the is Kore, K-O-R-E, which is it also means maiden. Um, and it is the name in the myth of Persephone that Persephone has before she is taken to the underworld. Mm-hmm. So when just as like Demeter's daughter, this like spring maiden, essentially, before she's taken to the underworld by Hades, she is Kore. And, um, and Persephone is, you know, also just always been one of the Greek mythic characters that I connected with. So when I found out my name, like came from that, I was like, that is so exciting and so cool. (laughs) Um, and I, I really connected with this, like kind of duality of this, like spring maiden, you know, a vision of innocence and then coming around basically to her like shadow side and then like coming into her power and becoming the queen of the underworld. Like that's a pretty dope trajectory. So, (laughs) um, uh, so yeah, I just like from a personal perspective, that story has, you know, meant something to me. I also today in just like research I was doing, someone pointed out that Corey, like it means maiden, but it can also kind of mean nameless. Mm. And I actually love that because it's like, I hate, I hate when people try to box me into some kind of identity. (laughs) (laughs) I hate it. Like it makes me furious. Like I'm like, I'm always like, don't put me in a box. Like I hate being labeled things. And so like having a name that kind of means nameless is kind of really cool. Yeah. (laughs) That actually reminds me there was, um, I heard somewhere and you know, this is not exactly my area of research, so nobody come for me, but there was something I heard that in certain carvings in Greece, uh, like for sacrifices or something, when they're referring to Hades and Persephone, they'll just say the god and goddess because they don't want their names around them because <laughs> they're too powerful. And I read that too, of that yeah. just evoking the name Hades um, might possess enough power to bring them to the underworld. So it's like, Oh, I love that. So oh, Voldemort. Still nameless. Who must not be named. Yeah, exactly. Voldemort energy. <laughs> Hades has got big Voldemort energy. <laughs> but be speaking good. of Hades, the story, the story of Persephone right. and Hades. We got, I guess it starts with Zeus. It always yeah. does. It yeah, always starts it with does. Zeus. Who Persephone is the daughter of Demeter and Zeus, correct? In, in a not fun way. Um, and because um, <laughs> yeah, Zeus is a big asshole. Rarely in a fun way in, in ancient Greek myth, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, so we'll just say, I mean, Zeus raped Demeter, had Persephone, and then, you know, just like Zeus wasn't at, present at all, um, Demeter loved Persephone very much. They lived on Earth. 
and Zeus had an arranged marriage with Hades because Hades was courting Persephone. But they didn't think Demeter would like it. So Hades just basically came out of the ground one day while Persephone was picking flowers and uh, dragged Persephone to the underworld. Um, Demeter was very upset because her daughter was gone. So looked all over the world, enlisted Hecate, goddess of wilderness and childbirth, um, to help her out. And the witches. Man, we love Hecate. Big fan of Hecate in this Love movie. her. Yep. <laughs> um, to help her out and find her. And with also the help of Helios, sun god, they were able to find out or glean what happened to Persephone. Found out that she's in the underworld with Hades. Demeter was very mad and took matters into her own hands and basically let Earth wilt away. She's the She was the goddess of uh, fertility, correct, Demeter? Yeah, Warrior. like like crops and crops and, and agriculture, good right. good stuff. Yeah, like this stuff. <laughs> yeah, that. Demeter was uh, like, you know what? I'm gonna let it all die because it was very sad. And Zeus was like, no, um, uh, <laughs> please don't do that. And she's like, unless I get my daughter back, Earth's gonna die. And and Zeus had like, you know, liked Earth a bit, so pleaded, went down to Hades with Hermes, brought. Um, Persephone back up but before she left Hades pulled a little trick a little fast one and gave Persephone a pomegranate she ate it and then once she was reunited with her mother Demeter Demeter was like did you eat something down there and she goes yeah pomegranate that was bad news because that means now she's tied to the underworld they arrange a a parlay of sorts where Persephone is tied to the underworld, but she will only be down to the underworld for three months out of the year. And the rest of the time she spends on earth with her mother. So that's why we have seasons because the times that she's down in the underworld is when um, Persephone is away and Demeter is sad. Yep. Is, is my quick run over of, if I missed anything, let me know, but that's. that's uh, no, it's, it's a solid. Yeah. Like we said, there's so many different versions of the story. It's impossible to kind of wrap it all together but yes i i think you got the main points of the general story of Um, (laughs) no thank god um where it gets you know really complicated and what i've seen kind of the topic of a lot of research and people who really focus on this story is really just kind of playing with to what extent Persephone had agency um, to what extent was this a choice to what extent, you know, is she the victim or was this more um, her kind of taking a situation and then uh, making the best out of it and like making her own life and coming into her own power and um, the way, yeah. And people I think have kind of used the story to serve in the place of of kind of different narratives of how women can look at their own agency in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just that a lot. Time. And even just me and telling the story, which is what history has told the story, it's told more as Demeter's story than her story, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's Persephone that's getting plucked around and thrown left and right, but it's not, you know. But it's told through Demeter's search for Persephone. The main, uh, I think. The main source for this myth, like the you know really really old source, is called the Homeric Hymn for Demeter. So it's it's a lot more about her than it is about Persephone. Yeah, and that's I think a big element for how it is read contemporarily too, in terms of yeah the the mother daughter relationship, right, and what it mm-hmm. means for a daughter to disconnect from the mother force in their in their life and like what that means for 
stepping into womanhood and and the extent to which Demeter, you know, like I, I think I was listening to a podcast that was talking about like how they read Demeter as honestly, like kind of like overbearing. <laughs> yeah. Like I, in the research that I've found, I would say there's two main camps, right? There's the camp where uh, Demeter and Persephone were perfectly happy and Hades came in and ruined it because he's awful. And then there's the camp where uh, Demeter is a really overbearing, overprotective mother and Hades kind of saves Persephone and allows her to grow up into an adult. Um, And my main issue with both of those, even though I will say I want to give a huge caveat here, it's a myth. Anybody can have whatever take they want. Exactly. (laughs) Thousands of years old. We're never going to get an accurate an accurate original take. There is no such thing anymore. Um, But what I dislike about both of those takes is that Persephone has no agency in either of them. And I, I also think that it's just a really black and white view of a story that is more than most myths, I think really nuanced um, and cool in that way. Mm -hmm. I come. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Because that's a, a huge, a huge issue, uh, specifically with like ancient Greek myth is, you know, especially like mainland Greece, just super patriarchal. We know mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. know yeah. that that was how the system was set up. And so a lot of those myths just focus on a certain point of view, very, you know, like, like the, the main, we focus on like the Trojan war aspects, like, sure. yeah, you, you lose a lot of nuance, especially in female characters. And I, I agree. The tale of Persephone has lots of layers and lots of gray, I think. Um, and yeah, and I totally agree too, is like the beauty of these things, these ancient myths and why it's worth looking at them now and um, kind of unearthing them over and over again is a myth. A story is kind of just meant to be a template or create an archetype or something that we can build on, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what gives it power. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I totally agree. There's no point in like fighting over what the right way is, because I think the point is for all these different perspectives to essentially project onto the figure of Persephone. And so we can create. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really interesting because I, that you say kind of projecting onto Persephone, because I think that might be kind of the biggest point of the myth in how it served as a like story that, was told over and over again in ancient Greece, because, you know, we, we can think like, okay, yeah, the myth is useful because it explains seasons. That is a good purpose for having this story, but it's also um, from what I found very useful as an allegory for marriage, um, because the way that marriage worked a lot of the time was you you know, grow up, you know, if you're a young girl in Athens, especially because that was like hyper patriarchy, you stay in the house, you are with your female relatives all day and your male relatives come home later on. You don't travel that much. You don't go many places. And when you get married, you leave that house and basically never go back. You live at your husband's house. You don't leave that house a lot. So it, for 
all intents and purposes, it's a symbolic death. Like, and, and, a, and a mother could mourn that really actively because, you know, you, you go from seeing this girl for years and years and years, every single day, majority of the day to almost never. And you don't know how she is. Like she is now in the hands of her husband's family. Mm-hmm. Like they're responsible for her well-being now. And they, you don't know if they're going to be that nice. And then also like, this kind of ties into it in the reverse way. So we got marriage as death, but also death as marriage where like, if, you know, if your daughter dies young, if she's 14 and she gets a horrible illness and dies as was want to happen, mm-hmm. you never get that critical moment of marrying her where, you know, that's what you raised her for. That was the whole culmination of her youth and beauty and ev- everything. And you don't get that. So you can say, well, she's married to death. Now she had a, Mm-hmm. A, a marriage in death mm-hmm. and she's now going to you know you get some kind of closure from that and there's that it it sticks around like this is not gone after Greece falls because we've got that I'm a big uh Shakespeare nerd but there's that part in Romeo and Juliet where Ju- the you know her parents find her seemingly dead she's in like a coma or whatever but the the dad says like oh my god like she's death took her death has made her his bride and now i can't watch her get married because that's what was going to happen today so yeah there's a lot of a lot of use in in seeing it as an allegory for marriage and it's and it's seeing it as a super flexible one because if you're a young girl and you're like my husband is great and i really like him and i'm glad to be doing this then it is kind of a transformation power story but if your husband is awful and you really really miss your family like that's in there too Mm -hmm. totally even more off that too because tying it back to the story too it's is a lot of what i read in the research is a lot of those marriages were arranged and so the idea blocked away from your family far away not against your will at all you know is also part of the story that that's you're literally descended somewhere else completely cut off just like persephone was yeah Uh, exactly that was actually brought up um it was a podcast i found today and i want to give it a shout out because it's um great additional listening if you're into this topic um the podcast is called let's talk about myths baby um, <laughs> which is fun. Um, and there's an episode particularly on Persephone and all of these ideas really like uh, Corey Persephone and uh, another name for Persephone is like the dread goddess, which is Ooh. super badass. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's heavy. Um, but on this episode of this podcast, the host interviews Dr. Ellie Mack and Roberts, who is a classicist. So, you know, really knows her shit when it comes to ancient Greek myths. And they get into that conversation about like the marriage story and putting mm-hmm. it in the context of ancient Greek culture and how all of these young women were, or, you know, a lot of them, vast majority of them were really in arranged marriages for the sake of like their fathers, you know, getting land or whatever, you know, there's all these very like economic reasons why uh, young girls were sold off and how a lot of the time, times a young girl, you know, it could it could take weeks, it could take years before she really settles into her new life with her now husband and how this story could potentially have maybe been like a comfort 
to these women as a way of showing them, yeah, like how to regain agency and how to step into their power in that role, which I think is a really beautiful way of looking at it, right? Like we can look at it in the lens of like this patriarchal society writing this very patriarchal story um, in which like a woman is property and like to continue the patriarchy. Like we can do that. That's a thing. But we can also look in into it as having this role in society of providing comfort for these young girls. And I really like that a lot. Absolutely. And at least like, even if you are, you know, not exactly happy with your marriage, like there's someone you can pray to who did this. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something I was kind of seeing in my research too. And, and I've just been aware of in in recent years. And obviously, I mean, I've done it. Like I just went through that whole story about like finding the origin of my name and how it kind of became like a totem for me and stuff. Persephone as like a, a, you know, a God, but like a spiritual symbol for people that have maybe more like new agey beliefs, like new age spiritual circles, like, that's become a big thing I've, I've noticed. Like there was one podcast I came across that was like very spiritually based and they were hashing through Persephone as it kind of related to their own awakenings. And I feel like that's just a very 2021 way of using that same energy, right? Like it's not as straightforward as just like praying to a God, but it's basically the same thing, you know? That's, I'm so glad you said that. That's exactly the take that I, I formed my thesis around basically. Nice. Because <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't, like I said before, I think the, the issue with a lot of the takes on this is that it, neither of them are about Persephone wanting anything or doing anything, but if the the way that I formatted it in my play, which again is a rewrite, it is not <laughs> not gospel or real mythology, but is like Demeter as a protective, partly restrictive mother because she knows how dangerous things can be for a person like Persephone and her kind of only having half an understanding of what her mother is afraid of and because her mom won't tell her anything. And that's another thing I want to talk about is ignorance of, of sex and relationships, but, um, and then kind of finding her way to the underworld as a way of not necessarily pursuing Hades, but trying to understand, you know, I know there's something down here that scares her. I know there's something about men that scares her and I have to go figure it out not only discovering all of those answers, but also discovering how fucking lucky she was that she didn't get hurt when she was looking for the answers. Yeah, totally. And like discovering, yeah, just that process of discovering the power and the, all the good stuff that comes with the heavier stuff in life, right? You know, like all the wonderful, powerful aspects of desire Mm -hmm. even though sometimes we want to look at desire as this like bad thing. And this actually wraps back around to what you were talking about with like sacrifice and like being like sacrificial in terms of like women having to be that way Mm. or having to deprive themselves of something. Right. Um, To be good in some fashion. Yes, exactly. You have to deprivation to be good. And really like you can take the story of Persephone as like, ultimately just like fully diving in to like yeah st- i am the queen of the underworld like soaking it in mm-hmm. and 
the power that comes with that, which I think for any woman who has ever experienced uh, eating disorder behavior, which is a vast majority of our everywhere and all the time, (laughs) (laughs) exactly vast majority of our generation, like um, or or anything like self-harm or anything along those lines, like that's a super empowering way to kind of switch your mindset even right like, yeah like because there is there is if you're gonna read the myth of persephone you kind of have to do some mental gymnastics like you you start with like this young innocent maiden who's the way she's supposed to be she's like not she's not sexual she's not sexual at all and that's a good thing but also all of this happens and then she is a sexual being and that's also a good thing like you have to mm-hmm. um <laughs> like do some flips there as to what happens to make it okay now. <laughs> um, and I think a big part of it is like, she's owning it. Like it, it's what she, she's in. She's there for. And in the fact that all of that, like the being a sexual being and stuff is also symbolically tied to the underworld. Right. Yeah. Like it's literally tied <laughs> to like, the shadow side of life, like very clearly in the story. Even the pre-Christian societies had that going, the death and sex link. <laughs> right? <laughs> the death and sex link is one of my favorite things ever. Do you speak French by chance? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Nor do um, I. So <laughs> the uh the do you know the term for orgasm in French? I do. <laughs> um, it it literally translates to a uh, little death, like an orgasm is a little death. Such a like that link in in terms of it being this kind of like liminal space of like transformation. And like, I think you, in a very literal way, it connects the two, you know, you have just reminded me of something. And what I'm what I'm about to say is so college and so up its own ass, but I'm going to ask you oh, to stick with it. me because love we got to be pretentious. We gotta <laughs> be pretentious. I heard about this theory that normal narrative structure mimics male orgasm. And I was thinking about the hero's journey, which, you know, is like the classic, like, go, you, you know, you go in a circle, you start at home, you do some challenges, you end up in the underworld, and then you come back changed and different. Joseph Campbell energy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Persephone is similar to that. She's got a lot of parts of that, but it doesn't resolve. It doesn't end. It's not down, up, down. Mm -hmm. And I'm making all kinds of connections. A (laughs) a playwright friend of mine who teaches at the um, university I went to had like some kind of thought experiment in her class, which was like, okay, so what if the narrative structure of a play that we wrote or a story that we wrote followed female orgasm and like kind of went in waves or something like that. And I think that's kind of what the Persephone story does because it doesn't stop. It just keeps going around in the circle instead of following the, this is, Oh, I love this possibly out of hand, but (laughs) no, I love it (laughs) out of hand. That's the, yeah, that's my black holes, man. Like, let's just go (laughs) for it. (laughs) Like, I love that. Oh, that's good. That's a really, that's fun. I like that a lot. And yeah, it, it, the most heady take ever (laughs) made on this myth. Maybe I'm some though. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, there's also, this was something I wanted to bring up briefly that 
maybe connects to that um, and maybe not. But this actually came up in that podcast I was listening to uh, with Dr. Ellie Mackin Roberts, and she brings up that throughout uh, various like ancient cultures, not just uh, ancient Greece, but like different places. But there's evidence that pomegranates at certain times were used to help aid in fertility. And there is also evidence that pomegranates were used as a contraceptive. Yes. So there's already like this duality in the pomegranate. Which, yeah, mystery. it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite aspects of the pomegranate, which you just mentioned, is then like if, if we take her descent to the underworld as like a transition into adulthood and taking control of your sexuality, mm-hmm. it's like the choice to stay down there, which is made by, well, choice, depending on how you read it, to stay down there by eating the pomegranate is also her taking control of her fertility and like whether or not she's going to get pregnant, <laughs> Yes, um, which is a huge part of being an adult woman that we don't talk about a lot, but like managing your fertility is, is a big part of learning to be responsible as a grown up. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense to me that Persephone has become such a, I feel like just in like pop culture and like fan fiction and like, she's become such a thing. Like like, she's all over Tumblr. Like everyone wants to talk about Persephone, you know, like these kind like the, I I feel like her. And then one of my other favorites, Medusa, like we want to talk about these two female characters because there is a lot of, uh, there's just a lot there in terms of um, n- yeah, nuance and in layers of feminine experience and the, yeah, it's, it's almost become just like a thing like Persephone as how a lot of young, you know, women are kind of thinking about their own experiences. And it's interesting because I've noticed this, like I've noticed this on social media. And then it was also brought up in this podcast that like, there's a bunch of like romance novels, like written about the story of like Persephone and Hades and how there is this desire from a lot of times, like younger women, they really, really want Persephone and Hades to like be in love. Like they really want it. I mean, it's it's the hottest show on Broadway for the last few years. Hades Town, right? Hades Town, amazing yeah. musical. It's, it's very yeah. I saw it, and I, I my favorite part was the Persephone and Hades. You know, I feel like the central storyline that I feel like you're, they sell you on it is the 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 myth of Eurydice and Orpheus. But like, I thought the most interesting thing about that story is the marriage between Hades and Persephone and their interpretation, and that it's like a, that it's a it's a strained marriage in a way, you know that yeah like, they they're separated <laughs> exactly that there's there's like deep but there's deep love between them and like deep like you know maybe do we work or don't you know like it, it's it's such a fascinating story. I think part of that is like people really really like what's the word duality in fiction. So like when when you've got a spring flower goddess married to a death god it you know it's very easy to be like in your friend group which is x and which is y yeah (laughs) totally it reminds me of um like a tweet i saw a long time ago and it was just like it was the you know the pink heart emoji with the sparkles Mm -hmm. it was so it was the pink heart emoji with the sparkles 
Um, and then it's and then the black heart emoji and the tweet was like pink heart emoji and black heart emoji are in a relationship like <laughs> and like and that was it. And it was like and I remember seeing that and being like, but yeah, though, <laughs> like that is like a thing like I think everyone knows that couple or, you know, like or has experienced that dynamic. Also, part of it is just. With, at least with the like people really wanting them to be in love, goth BF. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate goth BF. <laughs> Hades. <laughs> I love that. Beauty, broody boy. <laughs> yeah, totally. There's an interesting connection in that contemporary like romance novels and like mm. erotic novels and things. Um, we, Ginny uh, and I actually did um, an episode on uh, Art History Babes podcast, like kind of diving into that world um, because it's a very interesting world. And it's also, FYI, in case all y'all didn't know this, uh, romance novels are the number one selling genre of novel. Oh, totally. Hands down. Um, And they're also very much looked down upon and like shat on all the time. But you know what? So were novels. So were novels when they first came out. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. But anyways, um, the world of like contemporary romance novels and erotica and like erotic fiction is very fascinating because there is across the board a desire for there always to be like even in erotic novels that are very focused on like sexual scenes and even in ones where it's like more violent sexuality there is always a there has to be love like there has to be love to legitimize the sex there has to be love like and so this like needing the characters regardless of if it's a story of literal abduction to be in love is like a common theme in contemporary romance and I feel like that's kind of what what's happening with using Persephone or the story of Persephone and Hades in this context of like the romance novel or fan fiction or whatever. It's like trying like they they they're ha- they have to be in love and it has like there has to be that element to it. And that needs to be a focal point, too. You know, I have something connected to that. I part of what I researched, this was actually Wow. Now looking back at my thesis, I'm like, why didn't I write about that? Um, I, <laughs> I wrote about that's this. academic research for <laughs> all of time. I hate my thesis. I hate it. I'm like, uh, like I, there's about a million more directions I could have gone. You yeah. Know? I, I wrote about this about Mary, mother of Jesus, but I totally makes sense for Persephone. I, I kind of looked into this like research on rape fantasies, basically of like, women being interested in that in a hypothetical way, but not a real way Um, where like part of it, part of it. And I think this connects Persephone is like the desire to get to have sex, but not have plausible deniability basically that like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't like break the code or anything. It was all, it was all him. I was just there having a really good time. Um, Exactly. Totally. And I think that if you if you want to see it as a transition from being a not sexual being to a more adult sexual being like that works really well as as seeing Persephone as like someone who doesn't quite 
know what they want and doesn't really want to break the rules, but is very, very interested in what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. I think that works really nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'm having, this is a really random connection, but I, uh, I started Downton Abbey again uh, last night. Oh. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's just like, I'm going to do this. We're going to start Downton Abbey from the beginning. I, I find everything about the aristocracy infuriating, but I <laughs> yeah. love that show. And yeah, and it, so I watched like the first few episodes and there's the episode very early on in, in the first season with uh, uh, Lady Mary and, and Mr. Pamuk where he like dies yeah, in his bed oh and that mm-hmm. whole thing. And that that is the whole energy, right? Is her, yeah. I can't, you know, it's, it's, she wants to, but, but she can't. And like, yeah, that plausible deniability type thing. Like she mm-hmm. wants to give in, but at the same time, there's all this like shame and, yeah. and all of this like complication. And like, I think that, that uh, sensibility is very in line with the Persephone story with with Mary with these romance novels with like there's yeah. this wanting to just let go with like reckless abandon you know sexually speaking but yeah then this like uh, part of the fantasy is like but but I I didn't have a choice yeah you yeah. know like which yeah. is which is super like uh, that's all you know all internalized misogyny bullshit mm-hmm. stuff like it's not good that bringing it to, to horror bringing it the story if we're mining so many things and directions of like origins of all these things that I think that in in a way too we were talking before this podcast that the, the story of Demeter you know her mother is almost a rape revenge story too that like in a way you know like it's such a it's it's such a grisly subgenre in horror but it's always about you know like some sort of catharsis and getting back and like Persephone's gone and Demeter's like I'm gonna let earth die and that's and it, I think there's it's pretty rare if I, I don't know I'm not off the top of my head I don't know any other instance where anyone challenged Zeus and like wins you know that like Zeus good has point. to give in good point you know and almost she almost fully wins if Hades didn't like sneak the pomegranate, you know, like this is a story of like, I have all the power in the situation after, you know, this wrong. And so I don't know. I just think there's 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 so many different angles to this story of looking yeah. at. I've been noticing this in some short films that I watched recently, but like it's really common for a female characters like main action to come after assault because it's a really really good way to immediately get the audience on board and be on her side right. which is really problematic and, and yeah, reinforces a lot of bullshit but it it is interesting to look at this as like even to just even look at Persephone it'd be like okay so this daughter is a result of rape how is that going to influence her relationship to her mother it's going to be a lot yeah totally, totally. I wonder if that was even, you know, like, we'll never know the conversations between <laughs> and Persephone. But, but there's there's so much there. Yeah. And the, the idea of being overbearing and overprotective is now, you know, makes total sense. Yeah. Not so, not so over, just kind of the normal amount. That exactly. Right. What a story. Greek mythology myth, you know, that we talked about and we've gone 10 different, 15 different connections. Yeah. And there's, um, I don't know, like too much on this but i feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't uh quickly touch on like the cult of persephone 
and yeah. how even with, I think this was really interesting and this was talked about in the podcast I keep bringing up, even within ancient cultures, this story was seen very differently in different places. Like, like I said, like the one we kind of go back to is the seventh century BCE uh, mainland Greece one. And like mainland Greece, very patriarchal. And it's not that like, you know, these, these places not too far away were super duper progressive, but like cultures shifted and, and things were a little different. There was a lot of um, cult of Persephone in uh, southern Italy that really focused a lot more on like goddess of the underworld energy mm. to the point that there are terracotta plaques where there are these like depictions of Persephone enthroned and Hades isn't even in the picture. Whoa. Like they have cut him out. And this is like ancient time frames we're talking about that they like there were groups of people that went all in on Persephone, which I think, I don't know. It's really fun. Like just, you know, cause to conceptual conceptualize that idea and conceptualize that narrative. Like I like thinking about hyper patriarchal Greece. We have this kind of uh, this story that has all these complicated layers of how power plays out with like men and women and stuff. And then the idea that like just in Italy, you have people worshiping Persephone as the goddess of the underworld and like feeling, yeah. And, and who knows exactly what they were trying to say with th those plaques, but the removal of Hades was clearly intentional, you know? Yeah. What you made me think of is there's a lot of syncretism between Persephone and Isis in Egyptian mythology, yeah, where like she's yeah, yeah. also goddess of the underworld. And like, I think in Egyptian mythology, she's way more important than Osiris, her husband. So it might be like kind of that bleeding back. I love that. Yeah. yeah. But also like, you could probably make an argument that they would be a lot more comfortable with a goddess of the dead as opposed to a god of the dead. Because all of those like, you know, obviously this is way, way, way before hospitals. So people died at home unless there was a war, died at home. And preparing the body was women's work. Like you, you wrap them up and you make them look good and you bury them. Um, mm -hmm. Cause it's, it's, it's sewing and it's cooking. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's for the ladies. And I wonder if that's like, no, why there's they're more attached. Yeah, no, I, 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 I like that connection a lot because there's definitely across cu cultures, across centuries, like even as recent as like Victorian era, there are so many examples of, yeah, women kind of being the representation or the representatives for, cause like we give birth. So like it, yeah. by that same logic makes sense that women are kind of at the threshold of death as well, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. And just like you said, uh, a lot of times feminine energy, uh, a woman was what was typical in terms of dealing with someone who is dying or, those those huge life transitions yeah. there yeah um so yeah i think i mean i think there's probably a lot there in the idea of a goddess a goddess of the underworld or like a goddess of death as in just thinking that maybe that is a realm in which you know feminine energy has more of the power which is really interesting yeah. you know <laughs> and I, when you mentioned birth there's also like the the pomegranate is a really strong womb symbol because it's, you know, it's, it's 
bloody, it's full of seeds, it's fertile, it's it's yes. ready to go if you want to see it as a womb. <laughs> it is ready for it. <laughs> totally, totally. Man. Yeah, and I'm thinking about other, you know, representations that picture death as a woman. And I first my head goes to the Sandman series with Neil Gaiman, and that's about the endless and she's death is dream realms king Sandman. It's his sister it's, that is deaf. You know, Neil Gaiman's a very smart man. <laughs> He's probably <laughs> uh, did that for a reason. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, but I also think about there's a, there there the fascination with Persephone is one she inherited the underworld in a way. You know that she like mm. not inherited, but she like was not started there. She like, went and became the queen of it. And mm-hmm. two, I, I read I have this book, this like encyclopedia that just has quick you know little mythical myth quips, and I looked up. Persephone and like the only thing that they really said about it in the book about Persephone and Hades is of the uh, major gods they're the only two that don't dine in Olympia you know that they're yeah they separated you know they're disconnected from everyone else so they're almost outsiders in a way um, from the larger pantheon you know which is another I think a draw in going back to like the romance novel thing that of of Hades like he's he's a outsider like yeah right it's um, especially with, I don't know, I imagine, I imagine Olympus to be a pretty toxic environment. So like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like if you, if you find a really awesome, powerful kingdom that has nothing to do with that is pretty great. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. No, I mean, like the underworld seems like a lot of fun. Like it seems like it looks like they have a good time. You yeah. Know? It seems like a pretty, you know, interesting place. Um, yeah. Like the underworld is kind of a safe haven for outsiders. Right. It, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a safe space for those who want to explore the outer edges of existence and those who, yeah, are, just don't fall in line with, um, uh, yeah, as you said, what was probably a very uh, toxic situation <laughs> at, at Olympus, you know, mm-hmm. um, like the mythological version of the afterlife is so kind in a certain way. Like it, it's so much nicer to the average person than like the Christian, di- like mm-hmm. heaven or hell, because like most people don't go to Elysium and they don't go to Tartarus. They don't go to like awesome land and they don't go to hell. They go to like this kind of weird Middle East spot where they just kind of, you know, go through the motions of things they used to really enjoy. And maybe they're just kind of ghosties. Like it's, it's just really, <laughs> really chill. Yeah, totally. In terms of death land. Yeah. And I think there is an interesting, uh, just contemporarily people conflate hell and the underworld. Mm. And I, you know, I, I think there's totally connections and like, you know, in different depictions and different ways it's been thought about over time, those feed into each other, but the underworld is not the Christian hell. Like they're not the same place. Um, they, and I think the conception of them comes from different ways of thinking too. That's really interesting. I think you're right. Cause like, a lot of a lot of Greek mythology gets Christianized. Well, a lot of mythology in anywhere you want gets really Christianized really fast. Um, and so, you know, the underworld becomes hell. All important women become Mary. Like yes, exactly. And, and 
the association of like Persephone becoming a sexual being in the underworld could really easily become the like, ah, she, she did sex. So she <laughs> went to hell and <laughs> it's just it. so <laughs> different than that. It's so different than that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm thinking my, well, you brought up Christian and hell and my, I always, my first thoughts go to this Lucas and eighth play a few years ago called the Christians. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I am. I love that play. That's it's so good. So good. But it's all about, you know, this, this pastor that comes to the congregation. It's like a mega church sort of thing. And they're like, we're taking a big step in um, acknowledging that we don't believe in hell. Um, that, that, that is not founded in biblical teachings that we don't believe in. We believe in heaven and not a place where you will burn for eternity and how it like really, like really upsets the congregation that they can't you know that, that like there's this other character that really struggles with that, that like, I need to believe in this place. Um, I don't want to believe, I don't want to, I don't like to think about it, but that's why that's fascinating. Um, But anyway, that's, you brought that up and I just think about that play. Yeah. If there's, if there's a space in uh, the underworld, like there is for the Greek, Greek conception of it, like that changes the intensity of sin. Like it. Yes, 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 yes. Way less important if you do, something culturally not acceptable mm-hmm. and but at the same time they make it so i mean the, the fires of purgatory right you know oh so it's dang, like, you're right oh man like, what's the difference <laughs> well the difference is you get out of purgatory and i'm like but but you but you burn the same but, <laughs> no. we all burn the same <laughs> we all burn the same but this one you won't burn forever so <laughs> it's like yeah this uh goes back to you know thinking down on ourselves about uh, our worth and a lot to it that many people have written many books on (laughs) classic blunder but um but we can try to understand it with these stories that we're talking about like myths and and you know which are just more stories that we have with like horror and all these things of, of i you know can't fix it but i can i can validate and assert that yeah it is scary and i can show it you know not, not sugarcoat it it's, it's worthwhile um i'm not a woman so <laughs> i can't speak to all this stuff but i but i could you know having a, a goddess that went through some same thing that many young women in athens times were going through that like had to be some sort of comfort that like i have someone i can talk to yeah. that is very powerful you know that yeah is, and that, like, no matter what your experience of those changes is, you can kind of decide that she felt that way, too, <laughs> which yeah. is the great thing about uh, having a character that you exactly. can Exactly, exactly. Are there any, like, Persephone, maybe not even horror movies, but, like, movies, characters, things like that? I'm trying to think of, like, yeah. a god of the goddess of the dead example but i'm coming up kind of blank i'm struggling with that too i mean i you know racking my head there's many many horror movies that deal with you know the, the horror of, of uh, being a woman you know like in motherhood and all that that's reflected with the demeter story like we talked about it. there's a whole you know rape revenge subgenre that talks about yeah, this kind wow. of stuff that, but um as far as persephone herself i don't know I, I i wouldn't off the top of my head i didn't i did not remember any i mean i could think of motherhood ones i think of like the babadook that a few years ago i think about oh um uh like the fear of motherhood in a way Uh, yeah i i didn't look too deep into it but i i did notice in like my brief research that yeah the main things um that came up that were very contemporary 
were uh, were novels, were new novelizations of the Persephone Hades uh, situation. But like, yeah, no movies like popped up or anything like right away. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like that could be very untapped. I feel like there's yeah. <laughs> you could do some really interesting things uh, horror wise, you know, with that character and just that story. But Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, like the whole, when you were talking about like the rape revenge genre, like that's, some people love this. Like, so that is really empowering for some people. I don't find it that way. I find, I find it often to be really exploitive, which, you know, I I think that even just talking about that kind of like getting that kind of closure through violence is really useful for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. even if, you know, doesn't work for me. Yeah, from what I've read, the people that do appreciate it, it's it's, a, it's the one, it's the level of being seen that like I went through that too. And mm-hmm. it's, there's the level of um, validation that my fears were, were fucking scary, you know, that like, yeah. and two, yeah. that like, there is, there's always a level of, you know, violent catharsis. There's, there is a, a resolution to it, you know, that there is, there is a, um, somewhere to put all that feeling that from what I've read, um, that is very cathartic that's that's releasing to for people yeah i think the the issue there comes when it's like just over and over again the only way that you see a female character like getting action or getting to like you know have strong feelings is in response to assault because why not Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah definitely but then again if you if you want if if that's the kind of narrative you're looking for. And you go to the Persephone story, like it's, it kind of works. Like you can be like, I read something that said a lot of people use the Persephone story as a metaphor for like overcoming victim status, where Mm -hmm. like you go from being like this young girl that got acted upon to becoming a a very, very powerful entity. Yes. Control of a lot of things. It's a good talk. (laughs) great great talk great talk i went to places i didn't think too when we're doing (laughs) the research that like there were we're we're peeling layers into this this is exciting yeah and that's something yeah that's um i think just really fun about persephone being such a big symbol big archetype for what seems like very large amounts of people right now is Mm -hmm. um yeah, you get you get a lot of different projections, right? We get a lot of different people's different projections. And I think it's really beautiful. I think it's really beautiful to listen to the very specific ways in which someone connects to one of these stories. And, and you know, I, I, I love doing the academic analysis as well. Like that is uh, kind of how my brain works a lot of the time. But I feel like we're just in this space, especially internet podcasts all of this like we have the space for as many people as possible to just share their personal relationship to this centuries old mythic figure and that's pretty cool that yeah that's a really that's a really good point where like that was when I was writing about her I kind of got in my head in the beginning where I was like, well, what? this is just my personal take and no, nobody, why would anybody want to hear it? It's not, it's not that scholarly. It's all of that stuff. And it's like, it's, 
been around several thousand years. Like it's, you're not the first person to do this. You're not, yeah. God, Julia, you're being an undergrad. (laughs) (laughs) But I also like, just from an academic perspective, like I, I, I truly think we are in the midst of this shift. Like I feel like I'm seeing it happening um, in a lot of ways in academic thinking, but it still is going to like take time and effort. But I think we are shifting into yeah, just allowing for that. Like there isn't like for so many years, academia is kind of built on this idea of like uh, uh, there is a, a way of knowing there is a truth to all of this stuff. And I think the beautiful kind of like almost like surprise gotcha moment was actually like, no, it's not about like achieving one singular truth. It's actually about how there's like endless, endless, endless numbers of truths. And those all exist and they all have meaning. And that's kind of the point. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, and I think I think that is really shown through something like this, this very solid myth that has gone through so many like incarnations and so and has been around and has existed in so many cultural contexts like I think if it keeps going I I would love to revisit Persephone in 10 years and see the ways we further developed this story you know yeah yeah and even while we're talking because I was racking my head thinking about is there there has to be it's such a there has to be an archetype in horror that, that this has shown up in. And this might be reaching, but like, follow, let's stay with me here. <laughs> like Carrie, in a way, that Carrie is overbearing mother. We've got um, this duality between her that she's this innocent, you know, pure religious person. But then there's this switch of her becoming this telekinetic um, thing of fear that she she lives in both realms so I, I mean that may be where it ends but that's where my head was going I like it it though. starts it starts with her period it does yeah that's perfect <laughs> yeah that's, that's really good. cool I never thought about that so, that's a good one there we go Carrie we made it we, made <laughs> we it. did we did it <laughs> this is great this is great talk yeah really. thank you thank for you guys out. so much for letting me just just absolutely go off about this very niche topic. I'm loving it. No, wonderful. Yeah. Love, love that you, uh, you reached out to us and that we got to make it happen. Um, Cause yeah, super fun conversation and love bringing on new perspectives. I think, uh, you know, it's fun having this topic because it, it connects to a lot of different, you know, it, it broadens what Happy Harvest Horror Show can talk about, and it's, which is really exciting, too. You can find spooky topics and spooky, you know, stories and not just horror movies and Halloween, you know, that they can be in, in myths and other places, too. And which brought me to a larger, uh, you know, area of like per- the Persephone in palmistry with per- the Persephone line that some people have, um, mm. which all deals with. And this was on Meredith Hunt. She's a palm reader on Instagram and um, Walls connected me or showed me this post, but talked about what the Persephone line is. And it's it talks about if someone has the Persephone line. Um, they, they have to spend equal amounts of time in both their moon and their, 
um, I guess exterior, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant talking about it, but from what I understand that like, if they don't spend equal amounts of time in their deepest self and then sharing what they've learned in their deepest self, it leads to the depression. And if you spend your, all your time in one or the other, if you spend all your time isolated with yourself, it'll lead to depression. Spend all your time outgoing and not listening to yourself leads to depression. So you have to have this back and forth, um, which I thought was fascinating. And then it also shows up in astrology that, you know, having the, the, um, Persephone asteroid in your natal chart can speak to, um, you know, anxious, what you're anxious or fearful of. Um, so, wow. but this is me, just a brief <laughs> read it over. I'm sorry to all, you know, astrologists, astrologers. And um, <laughs> that's really that. cool. I had no idea any of that existed. Yeah, that's really I, neat. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So, yeah. And but, so I, I, I love, I love the Persephone archetype because Yes, Persephone is a myth and it's a story and it's a character. But then, yeah, when you add in like all the these ways in which that exact character shows up in like all of these different aspects of like life, it, it just like speaks to the power that she built as that, you know, as the queen of the underworld. And, like, and I, it speaks to like how applicable those kinds of symbols are to the world we live in right now i think totally. or like if you know if we didn't find any value in the symbolism in her story like if those things were all completely remote to the way we live like we wouldn't be so interested exactly yeah and i i definitely think um yeah she's she's a perfect character to integrate into more like new age spiritual stuff. Like, I don't know anything about palm reading, but I do want to know if I have that line. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need you to send that to me, Brian. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> and this was, her name again is Meredith Flint, Meredith, sorry, Meredith Hunt. She's on Instagram and she does all this, you know, I, I just scrolling through her handle. I was like, I'm learning so much about palm reading right now. So, <laughs> I did have a palm reading book when I was very young. It was like one of those really like um, that you get at like the grocery store, like in the checkout line, you know, there'd be like the crossword book oh, yeah. and then like the palm reading book. Like, so I, I got into it at like the age of like nine for a while, but I, I don't, I don't, that's, um, you know, I, I, I love astrology, I, but palm reading has not been one that I uh, dove into yet. Uh, maybe we'll do an episode on that sometime. We should find a palm reader to come on. <laughs> for real, for real. Um, well, it's, been, uh, it's been a good time. It's a real fun time. Yeah. Thank you guys so, so much for letting me come and talk with you. This has been really awesome. <laughs> it's been rad. Thank you for reaching out. Thanks for supporting us. Yeah. 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 And so cool. Obviously, let us know if there's another topic you'd like to come on and nerd out about. We'd love to have you again for sure. Well, thank you. Much oh, appreciated. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on YouTube. Happy Harvest Horror Show. It handles there. If you have any ideas, um, in addition to Julia, you can reach out to us on happyharvesthorrorshow at gmail.com like Julia did. Um, <laughs> be like or, Julia. <laughs> be like Julia. Um, <laughs> And yeah, like, subscribe, all that, leave reviews, throw us money. You know, you know, the works. <laughs> yeah. You know, how it works. Uh, Instagram, happy harvest horror show. Do you want to do a Twitch? Oh yeah. Out? I mean, we're, we're doing this uh, Twitch stream every week. Um, to anyone who doesn't know what Twitch is, it's, it's, it, you just hop on and 
basically you watch a stream of me playing as something spooky. It'll be spooky on theme and, and you can hop into the chat and like join in and it's, we've been doing it for a few weeks now and we've got a fun crew and it's a lot of fun. Um, just kind of chatting and hanging out. I mean, a lot, if you just, you know, if you're not in, even interested, just drop a follow. Cause that helps us get bigger. Um, follows, uh, follows go a long way. <laughs> go a long way. We know how it works. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you again, Julia, for being here. Of course. And- We'll catch y'all next time. Bye. Bye.